Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome to Believe in Celtics, brought to you by Ben Online. I'm your host, Warren Shaw. He is a great Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe. And we're your hosts and resources for everything Boston Celtics this season. Uh, the Celtics continue to be in the news. We thought we were going to get at least a little bit of reprieve, maybe a slow draft night, you know, nothing much to talk about with a second-round pick, if you will. And then news breaks uh, that forces me and G to have a little text conversations. I'm like, is this real? You know, he's like, it's very much, it's very much is real. Then for a minute, it seems like it's off and it's back on again. Uh, but we're going to get into all of that here in a quick minute. As always, make sure you're following us on your favorite social platforms. Follow me at Shaw Sports NBA. Make sure you follow him at G Washburn Globe. Make sure you follow Believe at Believe Sports or at Believe. And we're just going to jump right in here, man. All gas, no breaks, because this is almost kind of a special edition, if you will. Gary, let me set the scene for you. I'm sitting in my full-time job. I'm watching an applicant, you know, apply for a job for another position within our company. And my phone starts buzzing. So I try not to be rude to the candidate because <laughs> I'm like, well, kind of like what's going on. And I'm seeing news that uh, the Boston Celtics are, are in talks to move Malcolm Brogdon, acquire Chris Tapps Porzingis in a three-team trade, Washington, Boston, and the LA Clippers. All day, that's the vibe. That's the tenor. That's what we think is happening. Again, you and I, a couple of texts. Is it real? Yeah, it's real. Um, then around 10-ish or so, Woj is like, yeah, this is a wrap. Uh, teams are moving on. I'm tired as hell, G. I can't even lie to you. I was tired that day, and I was like, all right, well, they have till midnight because of the Porzingis opt-in. Uh, I think this is probably going to fold. I'm going to bed. I waited till about, like, I don't know, maybe 11.05. And I was out of there. And I don't know what time exactly what time the deal goes down, but I wake up, only see the deal uh, change dramatically. <laughs> and one of Boston's uh, own nine-year vet, Marcus Smart, is now involved in the deal, and he heads off to Memphis. Talk to me about what you heard kind of throughout the day, what ended up happening You know, from, from what your lens is from the Boston side where they couldn't wait, because I have some questions and comments about what actually happened with the Clippers on the Malcolm Brogdon side. Uh, but your, your anatomy of a deal from Jerry Wa- Gary Washburn's perspective. Yeah, I think Brad has had a uh, real interest in Chris Hatsporzingis for years. And if you look at his last game against the Celtics, I think uh, 32-13-6, and six, he was just playing his best basketball. Uh, he was dominant on the floor. And I think Brad was uh, impressed by that, right? So I think that they knew they had to shake something up. They had a crowded backcourt. Because as you know, Warren, uh, they went through the year with Derek White kind of emerging at the end, Malcolm Brogdon having a very good year, uh, but kind of in a role that wasn't really designed at first. I thought, you know, people were speculating that he might take, um, 
you know, smart spot the fourth quarter and he'd play the fourth quarter minutes and kind of get the offense together. And, you know, he was telling us at the beginning, hey, I'm not here to take Marcus's spot. I'm here to work with Marcus. We can play together. And it ended up being kind of pigeonholed into like a, hey, man, you know, like a Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams type of role, like, you know, going there, Malcolm, with the second unit and score all you want, you know, and give us 19 points in, you know, 24 minutes or whatever. And he won sixth man of the year. So obviously it worked. Um, But I thought that they felt like they had to clear some space, figure out what to do with that position to get a definitive point guard and also strengthen the front court. I think they understood, Warren, that front court was a problem in the playoffs. Al Horford stopped taking twos, uh, as we talked about, passed the ball when he was six, five, six feet from the basket out to the three. He, he's not an effective uh, player offensively in the paint anymore as he was early in his career. And Robert Williams can pretty much only score on lobs and putbacks. So they needed someone in the front court to complement them, to give them another element, Kristaps Porzingis. So I think that they were talking to the Clippers. The Clippers are in search of a point guard, as, as you know, Warren. They went through Reggie Jackson and John Wall last year. They cut them, basically got rid of them both. Then they brought in Russell Westbrook. Westbrook had a really solid stretch with the Clippers, but now he's an unrestricted free agent, so they have no rights to him. There's no guarantee he'll be back. So I think the Clippers are like, you know what, let's get somebody who's younger than Westbrook, more consistent, steadier, and who can go back to his natural position. But the Clippers are also on on, on the clock because Porzingis had to opt into his contract uh, on that fateful Wednesday. And also the Clippers were like, well, how serious is this uh, elbow thing? And we don't need any other hurt players. Like, that's not going to do good for PR Warren. The Clippers acquiring another dude who's going to need surgery or be out the first three months of the season. So I think they backed off of that. And Memphis then emerged, who's been always been interested in Marcus Smart. I don't think Memphis had interest in Malcolm Brogdon. They said, listen, we'll take Smart off your hands. The thing is, the surprise to me, Warren, about this whole deal was Memphis really coming off of Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones has been one of the best backup point guards. I mean, they're, they had a pretty impressive record without Ja because of him. And they were like, no, nah, no, nah, we'll take Marcus and we'll just send that dude to Washington. I just thought that was the most fascinating part of the deal because I thought they were pretty set at point guard with Ja missing the first 25 games with his, uh, you know, brandishing the gun suspension. So to me – it just developed quickly. Memphis emerges, you know, um, and, you know, Washington wants all they want is uh, draft picks and, and, and players. So they take Jones off their hands and the expiring deals of Muscala and um, Gallinari. And then they want to get off the, the final 36 million of, of Porzingis. So I think it all worked out for great for all parties, you know, like, um, it was a shocker. You know, yeah. I knew they had to do something. And we talked about Marcus Smart many, many, many times, Warren, the good and the bad, you know, uh, what kind of year did he have? Is he getting better at being a playmaker? Is this who he is at age 29? Is this just going to be the Marcus Smart experience? And I think the Celtics kind of figured, listen, Malcolm was more consistent this year. 
Malcolm can have an expanded role. Marcus wasn't as consistent, and the fourth quarter offense was still a major problem. So in Porzegas does make them better offensively, and now they get, you know, they rid themselves, unfortunately, for, for a lot of people in Boston who are hurt by the trade of a guy who was the heart and soul, who's had a lot of great moments, who will get a rousing standing ovation his first game back. And, you know, maybe if he had won a championship, he might even get his number retired, like the, the Dennis Johnsons and some of those guys who didn't spend a long, long time in Boston, but got a chip. So um, you're right, you know. I had a, uh, I was a feel, I was a little under the weather on Wednesday, mm. you know. Uh, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me just lay down for a couple hours, and then I'll wake up and boom, all hell broke. I woke up at like five in the morning, looked at my Twitter account, which drives my wife crazy. Of why are you taking your phone <laughs> to the bathroom? But you know, Twitter's your best friend as a reporter. Yeah, <laughs> all, all, you know. You're- we, we might have married the same person. My wife's the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you taking your phone to the bathroom at 5 a.m.? What, what, what are you looking at? What's on Twitter that you need to know? You know, she don't get it. I understand. So, and then all hell broke loose. And um, I understand the deal for both sides. Marcus was hurt. I was told he was really hurt by the trade. He was really, yeah. really down. He'll make the best of it. I think, you know, the good thing for Marcus is they didn't trade him to – you know, they didn't trade him to Portland or Minnesota or, you know, Houston or a place that's rebuilding and San Antonio. They didn't play him. They didn't trade him to a place where he's not going to win. They trade him to a place where he's going to be dependent on to help win a young team that might need his guidance. So I think it'd be a perfect situation for him. Yeah. As you alluded to that, you know, I- watching kind of all the things that happen and even in backing up a little bit too. So it's a couple of things to, to unpack and I want to get into, have to get into the Marcus smart of it all here, um, you know, for an, pretty much an extended time on the show, but going back to the Clippers and, you know, I thought it was interesting because depending on who you believe, and I think when once the deal is done, all kinds of stuff comes out and you don't really know what's true. Right. But you're like, you're going with this midnight time- timeline they're trying to search or sort through Brogdon's medical stuff, so to speak. I think one report, and I want to say Woj, was one like Boston was the one who backed away when it was like 10 something and the Clippers were still kind of trying to figure it out. And ultimately, because of the Porzingis opt in, I don't know if Boston or Washington was getting cold feet because if they had a framework for a deal in place, you know, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, why wouldn't the Clippers have just. Or why wouldn't they give the Clippers enough time, in essence, to kind of to evaluate that? Now, what can you say from that standpoint? Is that kind of like what you heard as well, potentially unpacking it, that yeah. you know the Clippers maybe just needed some more time here? Because if that's the case, then Marcus Smart still was Celtic. Yeah, they did need more time, but the clock was ticking on Porzingis opting in. Because, I mean, if I'm his agent, I'm like, well, you know, he – it probably was a real question of whether he would opt in and want to play another year for a, a franchise that's going to be in complete rebuild. So I'm sure his agent says, listen, my guy ain't opting in unless he's going to Boston. Okay. He is not opting in and playing for the wizards and winning 12 games. Like that's not happening. He's 28, um, about to be 28. 
you know, he's in the prime of his career. He wants to win. My client needs to know what the hell's going on before he opts in. Although it's $36 million and who knows, Porzingis may never make that per year in his career again. We don't know. Um, I don't know if I'd pay him that again. Uh, but NBA salaries are, are escalating and skyrocketing and going crazy. So who knows? Somebody would may give him $80 million over two years. But I think that the pressure came from Porzingis' people because – and then the Wizards were like, yeah, fellas, like we want – a return for Porzingis. If he opts out, we get nothing. Okay. We get nothing back. Um, if he opts in, so Washington's really pushing for this to happen because now they get a return on Porzingis as opposed to an opt out, which means they get nothing, even though, you know, they get them off the books. But, but hold, hold on, hold on, G. So, real quick. So, I think my question is was there not enough? And, and again, I know we weren't in the room, right? But there's not enough equity in the belief that, hey, we had at least a framework for a deal. So we know Boston wants to acquire Porzingis. Washington wants to give Porzingis and then ultimately figure out what the, the compensation package is going to be. So that's where I'm saying is like, well, those two things were true. You needed a third team. Yes. So the Clippers were still kind of figuring it out. But if nothing else, I'm trying to figure out, like, hey, could they not have at least say, well, we have a, a, a at least a base level of a principal agreement in place. So the if the midnight, yeah, comes, midnight they, deal comes and goes, we know that think, and we can still work on that 13. Well, I don't think the Clippers want it. I don't think they want it smart. Right. I think they want it Brogdon. Right. And I think the Clippers are willing to give up and they wanted to get rid of Marcus Morris. And so I think it was I think it was the Clippers kind of came in saying, listen, we don't we're not taking anything here. If we're going to participate, we need Brogdon. Brogdon mm-hmm. is more proven, a better scorer, probably a better distributor. We don't know. Like, you know, Brogdon has played uh, point guard on some Indiana teams that weren't so good. So, you know, I can't say he's a better player than Marcus Smart, but I'm sure obviously the Clippers are looking for someone probably who matches what they're looking for. Remember, Tyron Lue coached Marcus Smart in his little short stint. Uh, as assistant with the Celtics, who probably said, listen, he's probably not the guy we feel like can run our team because they're looking like the Clippers got to win. They got a new arena and all that. So the pressure is on them to get somebody to run the show. So I think the Clippers were like, it's it, it, it can only happen if this goes down. We're not just going to take smart. right?" And I think that's where the shift went to Memphis, where it's like, you know, injury concerns about Malcolm. I'm sure that Memphis probably said it's the, the opposite of the Clippers. Hey, we'll take Smart off your hands. We've liked him for years. Malcolm, Brogdon, probably not so much, especially two years and I think 45 million left on his contract. So, and I think Smart has another additional year, which makes him a more attractive player now. Three more years and I think 18 million. So, uh, I think it's a length of contract there. So I think, and I think Brad had been talking to Memphis for a while about smart. They've been inquiring about smart. And so he shifted the deal before, uh, so Porzingis could actually opt in. If that answers the question. Yeah. 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 I mean, more or less, you know, I think it's just, you know, if I'm getting at, you know, even what you're saying in some ways too, is that there just maybe wasn't the trust that something would get done regardless. Right. And, you know, people needed to make their assurances 
Porzingis has a lot of money on the line here too and didn't want to get trapped in Washington in, in yeah. whatever capacity. But, you know, I think from um, a layman's point. He could, yeah, you're right. Like he could have opted in and then they still could have worked on the deal after that or whatever. But maybe, yeah, maybe some, maybe there was some kind of like, the Celtics obviously felt the pressure yeah. because it might have been, as I said, Porzingis is people saying, we're not going off of the promise. Like we, if we'll opt out and then we'll just take our chances of the free agent market. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and there's, and there's some real, there's some real may potential reasons behind it here. I'm, I'm absolutely speculating, but obviously new, you know, general management in, in Washington as well too. So Porzingis and his agent doesn't have that level of trust to maybe say it's like, all right, we'll do it knowing that you're going to get move on, move on from us here a little bit later on. Yeah. Get they might not trade them. You know, yeah. they could say, well, we didn't find the proper deal. He opts in, and then suddenly he's stuck. And then you, you, you well, they try to trade a midseason. So I, I think there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I won't, I won't uh, belabor it too much, you know. But I just was kind of wondering, you know, what might have happened if there was just the requisite time, maybe to kind of give it out. Because um, what, what I thought was interesting, and let me just kind of touch on Porzingis as you did a little bit earlier. There's a lot of great aspects of bringing him into the fold. Third score, a guy who can rebound, can defend when he's when he's motivated, um, will operate from the mid post, not necessarily the low post all the time, but can give Boston another dimension, you know, in terms of that, especially pick and pop. You know, obviously Isles getting a little bit longer in the tooth. You know, Roberts often injured himself. So just to be able to upgrade that position when you had, you know, kind of the girth in the backcourt makes a lot of sense. And then I think a lot of people like you were like, well, not even the Tyus Jones thing is going to Washington. Um, but how did Boston come away with two first round picks? And then my, you know, a lot of my conversations or text messages are like, well, how do you feel about the deal? I was like, well, you know, it sucks to lose the heart of your, of your locker room and a team that lacks mental toughness lost is probably toughest guy. Um, but let me see what they do in addition with the picks. Then they trade out. They trade from 25 to 31, then 31 to 38, I think, it, yeah. and just just got out of it all together. And so now it it left me a little bit hollow because I thought they were that getting that 20 number 25. I thought they were going to do something with that. And ironically, uh, the guy you talked about on the last show, Marcus Sasser, ends up going at 25. <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was definitely I heard you in my head when that when that happened. But I was uh, like, oh, OK, and no, uh, like, no, no, he's going to Detroit. You know, <laughs> so what what happened on that side of it? You know, it after like getting the, the guy pick. that they probably targeted was taken. I heard that they wanted um, the kid from Marquette, Olivier. Uh, I got you. Yeah, I can't even say yeah, that. But I Olivier Preston's uh, uh, Prosper, right? I think they wanted him when he uh, was taken before. I think they just said, you know, we're going to pivot. And you know, some people were, you know, there's a lot of people who are just annoyed uh, because they, they they want the next, you know, they want, you know, they want a reason to be hopeful and optimistic. They want a, a kid to be like, okay, uh, they feel bad about Marcus. Of course. But, man, we got this guy who's going to come in there and, and contribute and be a good, uh, the next good Celtic. And, uh, you know, and I think that one – I don't, you know, I don't think Brad's just not enamored with first round picks. He's never taken one. And second, you know, he, he's just not a draft guy at this point of his career. 
as president of basketball operations. And two, I just think they felt like, you know what, we'll get more draft capital, second round picks we can throw into potential deals this summer. And, you know, we'll have some more assets there. And then we'll get a kid that we like who, you know, is long and defender, long defender in Jordan Walsh. I saw him a little bit at Arkansas, not a lot. I'm not, I mean, my goodness, it's like Arkansas had three guys trapped in the first, you know, the first, I mean, it's like, when I saw them play, I didn't look at a guy, man, they got like three pros out there. Like I thought some good players, right. but it's just funny how this all, this draft, and, and I think all of them were either freshmen or sophomores. So they were, I mean, painfully young, but went out there and I know they beat Kansas and, and then, you know, I think got to this week 16 last year under Eric Musselman. But um, yeah, you know, I just think at this point, if you're a Celtic fan, you can't <laughs> draft night's never going to be what's cracked up to be. And you're never going to, you know, especially when the Celtics are drafted in, in the twenties, I just think that they feel like unless there's a guy who falls to them and you know how it is. Well, or at this point, it, it, it's a crap shoot, man. Like there's going to be a second round pick or two or three. that probably make the all rookie team. There's going to be, a couple of first rounders that don't last in the league for two for three years. Like this thing is so inexact. I can't tell you. I mean, there's guys coming in <clears throat> playing 17, 18 games. Some guys play, you know, like who who just came off the bench. Some guy like it's just the, the minute the guy averages more than 10 points a game, he's coming to the league. And that's yeah. just a recipe for uh so much unpredictability in the draft. Like I just I really wish, you know, I could say with confidence, oh, yeah, like Jordan Walsh is just not going to work out like they, the 25th pick. Sasser might be a nice player, and Walsh could end up being a real asset for them because we just don't know. Yeah. You don't know after the first two, three, four picks. You just don't know anymore how good those two Michigan kids are going to be it's just, you know, like we just don't know. That's all potential. And I am a big fan of college basketball, but half these kids, I was like, I don't know if I remember seeing them play, you know, let alone like, I, you know, I might have watched a, a game or two, but, you know, I knew Scoot Henderson, obviously, and I saw Brandon Miller in the last part of the season and Wimbayama, we all know. And so, but, and I saw a lot of Sasser because he played, played four years at Houston, but, some of these guys weren't, I don't know about you, but I was like, um, the kid from Marquette, like I wasn't privy, I wasn't hip to him, uh, you know, before the draft. I was like, okay, Marquette had a dude, you know, so I, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't be too disappointed as a Celtic fan or whatever. I was about a Celtic fan because you just don't know. And you got to trust their scouting that like Jordan Walsh is going to come in, work hard, play well in summer league, who knows? Does he get a two-way? Does he does he make the squad out of camp? And then we still have, if you're looking at reasons to be hopeful for a second fan, there's still J.D. Davidson in the, in the, in the you know, out there who's going to play in summer league and entering a second year. So, man, I, I wish I could tell you to be disappointed and rip the Celtics for, like, passing on 25 Although I'm a big Marcus Sasser guy, I don't know, man. Like I don't know. That's real, though. Yeah, that's I, real. I, I, I wish I, you know the one kid, Derek. Uh, uh, 
like Cam Whitmore and Derek. Uh, God, this other kid from um, Duke, who literally spent most of his season hurt. It's like, well, why are you coming out to be the twenty eighth pick? I like we could have another podcast on some of these kids getting really bad advice, especially with NIL. They cost themselves money and they go, they go in and they, you know, well, he spent most of his freshman year hurt. And like Nick Smith, the kid who was taken by Charlotte, who was the number one high school prospect in his class, spent most of the season injured and comes out and gets 28. Like, don't you want to be the fifth pick? Why wouldn't you go back to Arkansas, kick ass, and then boost your stock? I don't know. And then you get out of NIL, so you got even more an excuse to stay in school. So I know I'm going on a tangent, but I really wish I could say that the Celtics botched this thing and because who knows how good this draft is going to be. We don't know. People are saying the next couple of years are going to be poor. Um, you know, we'll see how this all turns out. I think if you – I would say wait and see. Look, I think they'll take a long look at Jordan Walsh. I think they like him, especially defensively. Um, and we'll see who's on that summer league team. And we'll, you know, but yeah, I, I think people thought 25 that they were going to get a player who would really help. Yeah. Um, if that's the case here, you know, I can't, can't put on my salary cap hat right now, but I mean, if, if Tyus Jones was going to be moved, then I'd rather have taken that as opposed to the two first round picks that they may not yeah. end up utilizing and ship totally. maybe somebody else over to Washington. If they don't seem to really care one way or another, Washington ends up making another blockbuster deal and going to send in Chris Paul to golden state, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. You know, obviously we talked a lot, of, had a lot of conversation about Chris Paul and potentially becoming a Celtic. I don't know if you've seen CP three, some of his, um, interviews since that time but he's a little dry he's he's a little bone dry about this right now but i'm sure he'll cheer up by the time uh the season comes around but pretty interesting stuff um gary let's switch gears you know and before we conclude i just kind of you know obviously again we've talked to touch on a little bit here with marcus smart so uh want to even before you even kind of go dive into that as well too the one thing i can say about this that at least in my feeling of it is that had the news been the other way around like Marcus was initially supposed to be dealt and then pivoted. Like, I think he, he would have recovered, but he, you know, he still probably would have been hurt. Right. You know, that they were even talking about him in that capacity. Malcolm is not tied and tethered to the team in that way. I think him being out there and if he doesn't end up getting moved, the summer coming back, I think that's more salvageable than, you know, you know, had it gone the other way around. But at the end of the day, there are some going to be some hurt feelings here. And you alluded to, you know, you, you heard that Marcus was sad or disappointed, you know, in that in that aspect. Um, what were or what are some of your famous Marcus Smart moments in the times that you've been covering him, you know, as uh, you know, in your in your in, on your beat here at the Boston Globe in the time that he's been a Boston Celtics? Some of your favorite moments for Marcus. It's a lot. I mean, um, you know, just a, a guy who's a, a good spirit, a good person. Um and it's been through a lot. I mean, his story is well chronicled, losing his older brother um, to cancer, you know, when he was a, when he was a young guy. And he lost his mom a couple of years ago to cancer, I think in 2019. Um, you know, he's just been through so much, a rough time. You know, he could have been anywhere, you know, could have been in the streets, could have been dead. But he made the best of a situation, obviously, comes to the league, not without really like without a true position, you know. He was sort of like a bulldog at 
Texas, I'm sorry, um, Oklahoma State, and uh, played kind of two, three positions, combo guard, and turned himself into a point guard, and turned himself into defensive player of the year. My best time, you know, 11 threes in that playoff game at Cleveland, you know, just such a market experience. I just think, as I said, another another interview, podcast, whatever, like, this is not this is a Marcus Smart experience. Like it's an experience to cover him. It's an experience to watch him play. It's an experience to see him miss seven straight shots and then hit the eighth for the game winner. It's a you know, it's a it's a experience to see him make a bad foul, send somebody to the free throw line, and suddenly make do the same exact thing the next time down, but then get the steal that, that wins the game. You know, uh, it is just his fearlessness, his confidence, his fire, fiery style, just, just you can't repeat that. And I think that at times, you know, the, the confidence might have been a little bit too much. And But I also think Marcus is like, listen, if none of y'all are going to take the shot, I'll take the shot. If none of y'all are going to step up and make a play, I'll make a play. And he didn't always make the play, but he always had the heart to. I never probably covered an uh, athlete. Not, you know, Kevin Garnett's on that list, too, with more heart. There's more freaking heart, a dog, just, just a guy you want on your team, you know. And that's the thing about um, Marcus, I think, that the fans will miss. Not, you know, he was a polarizing figure in Boston, Warren. You know, you got people that want him out of there, you know, love him, but you can't win with him. Others, oh, man, how are we going to move on? We lost our leader. Like, there's so many varied opinions about him. He's a polarizing figure because of the plays he made, some of the plays that he didn't, some of the shots that he took that was like, what? Oh, you know, or the next shot that you were like, I know this dude just didn't take another 28-foot three, but this time it went in. And you're just like, oh, you know, it was, it, was, it was an experience. And for us as media members, Warren, he was always hospitable, polite. He did great things to the community, probably the most community-driven player on the, on the team in years, you know, and as much as, you know, uh, these guys are good guys, not a lot of these guys reach out to, you know, some of the communities that they probably should, in Dorchester and Roxbury and Mattapan and Jamaica Plain, where these kids could actually see the Celtics and not, you know, selling their, not selling their sneakers for $200 a pair, but like, you know, build a new new basketball court or a new computer lab or signing autographs for the hell of it. Not, you know what I'm saying? Not, not, not benefiting off of it financially, but doing something for the community. And that was Marcus. And that's why I think he'll embrace and love Memphis. Memphis will love him. He'll fit right in. Um, he's not afraid to tell the truth to those guys. And those guys need guidance. We know, uh, Warren, Memphis is uh, <laughs> Memphis off the hook. Yeah, that roster, yeah. they, 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 they're some talented but young kids. And now I think, you know, obviously they're moving off from Dylan Brooks. He kind of can take that role, and he can pull Josh aside and say, hey, man, you know, uh, this is what happened with me. I come from, I come from, I come from nothing. This is what I went through. And the same thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain. Um, they got to be excited about bringing that guy in. Now I'm sure they hurt by losing their friend, you know, teammate Tyus. But my favorite moments are just a series of plays 
scoring, you know, just big shots, fearlessness, you know, drawing those charges against Harden in that game against Houston. That's that's actually mine. That is, yeah. it was like a regular season game, but yeah, totally. <laughs> and where they made a furious rally, and he helped yeah. win that game. Uh, the play against Brooklyn, I think it was Game Three last year, where the the Nets were, I think, up two. Sorry, the Nets were down two with a chance to uh, get a two for one, and Marcus just was guarding Durant coming up the floor, and he just runs at Durant, strips the ball, they get a jump ball, and I think the Celtics won the tip, so he boxed the two for one. It was a, it was a, it was a genius play, and it was a, chance, it was a risky play because it's KD. You touch him, you're probably going to get a foul, but yeah. it ended up that he, he caused a jump ball. He boxed the two for one. The Celtics ended up hitting it holding on and taking a 3-0 lead in the series. Like, that's the Marcus experience. How many players in the league do that, take that chance? Not many. Three, four, maybe a Patrick Beverly. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, a, he's like a more refined Patrick Beverly. You know, Patrick Beverly with a little bit more manners, a little bit more refinement to him. He just got that fearlessness. And so that's what I'll remember. Nine years, I said I was there draft night when he got drafted in New York, sixth overall. And it's it's tough to watch a guy like that go because you really enjoyed him as a person. He knew all our names. He was, you know, he was good to us. We all knew, you know, but the league's a business, man, as you know, Warren. You know, yes, you know these, you know, Bradley Beal just got moved after nine, ten years in, in, in Washington, like, Teams don't have no heart when it comes to improving their roster. And these these players have to understand that, you know, they can't take everything personally. I know Marcus probably was like, why me? And I get it. But something had to change, I believe. The whole thing of Brad saying, oh, we just need some minor tweaks. I don't think they could have run it back and just said, okay, well, let's see what happens here. Like, I think they know they have to change their arsenal. And this was a way to do it. And unfortunately, it cost Marcus uh, his tenure with the Celtics. Uh, I won't. I I can't. You know, eulogize the, the his tenure. You know, with in Boston any better than you. And you know, I'll kind of leave it at that. My last question for you is: How does Boston fill the void in the locker room? And can they, or do they feel they've done that by virtue of the assistance that they've added by you know in our previous conversation? Or do you feel like they're still, or is Al now trying to gonna step up and take a, a bigger leadership role? Can Tatum and Brown actually do that? You know, just how do they fill that leadership void? What are, what are some of your thoughts on this early on? Yeah, Warren, I think it's got to be collective. I don't think that there's going to be one guy in there and be like, okay, now I'm I'm the, I'm the new Marcus. Like, Jason's not a vocal leader like that, but he's improving at it. Same with Jalen. Al's you know picks and chooses his moments. You know. Um, it's going to have to be collective. And you're right. Sam Cassell and Charles Lee can probably fill some of that void too. Um, you know, maybe they'll get a new player. Maybe Malcolm will feel more comfortable now being in his second year. And, you know, I think he'll have to shake off, hey, I was on the, I was about to get traded. I think he, he's, he's part of the player association. He's been traded twice already. So um, he, I think Malcolm understands his part of the league. He'll take it as a pro. 
I think they'll have to do it collectively. I don't think someone's going to step in there and take Marcus's role as a leader. I think it's up. This puts more pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to be leaders and be grown-ass men and not let their personal struggles in terms of their games or their effective ability not get caught in ruts and lackadaisical play and show up every night and not get, you know, it's going to make everybody have to step up. This puts pressure on the organization. This puts pressure on those guys in the locker room because there's probably new roles, new role for Derek White, more of an expansive role. And we haven't talked about, but now suddenly Peyton Pritchard becomes useful here. Like yeah. Peyton Pritchard, we, we, we thought on his way out the door, they're going to either non-tender him and let him go or try to throw him into a trade. And now they're probably calling him back and saying, hey, Peyton, uh, you know, uh, forget about last year, you know. You, you, the, the chance to be point guard and back up point guard and get a, a prominent role off the bench is there for you. You want to take advantage of it. You know, now, with a, you know, his, his contract, he's eligible for a rookie extension. They might just let him become a restricted free agent as they did with Grant. We all know what's going to happen with Grant. You know, speculation is that he's gone for because of this new salary cap and the second apron that you don't want to be under. But um, it, it's going to be a team effort, Warren. Like, I can't say that there's going to be somebody who could step up who has that type of leadership quality. I think that they're just going to have to figure out how do we move on without him? Uh, what can we do? Um, what is it that what, – what's our identity? What's our culture? Who is the leader here? But when you got two all-NBA players, it's time for them to step up, just straight up. Yeah. They, I think they maybe rely too heavily on Marcus at times to be the leader and depended on him and, and took him for granted in that sense. And now they can't do that anymore. Now it's time for them to step up. This is what you get paid all the big bucks. Jalen wants $295 million over five years. Well, Jalen, it's more than just putting the ball in the hole. It's being a leader. And he's a leader. You know, he's a guy who goes walks to the beat of his own drummer, but – he knows the right things to do. The same with Jason. You know, no more just sitting in the corner of your locker and just staying to yourself on your cell phone. Address your teammates. Talk to the young guys. Be a be an old head. You know, these rookies are going to come in. You know, Jordan Walsh or whoever's going to come in and be like, wow, Jason, you know, I was in middle school, man, when he was a rookie. Like, you know, Jason's the old – not the old head now, but Jason's no longer – you know, 19, because we all joke, you know, this right. dude is 25 going on 26. He, you know, these guys are going to look up to him. And it's, it's time for both of those guys to expand their role. I don't know how much Al can be a leader when he's kind of on a decline. He's 37. Now, he could be an old head and rein in guys. He can be a really great veteran for some of those young rookies and second-year players. He can be a really good role model. But it's up to Jason and Jalen to me. Yeah. I, I don't I don't disagree. And you know, it's not about how much they get paid or anything like that too. I think it's just the tenure on the team and the role in essence that they probably really should have. And I'd be interested to see. I'm sure Brad will get that question once KP is introduced and whatever he's, you know, in front of media next. And all right, you know, how was it to make that move moving off of Marcus and who are you looking to set to lead up take the leadership role? You know, I'll be interested to see how he how he answers that question specifically. Well, I'll wrap it up here, man, because, you know, all I've, I'll say this one last thing. I've been thinking, I was like, man, the season started so bizarre, bizarrely, right? And you just wonder, 
had that Yudoka situation not gone the way it went. And like, this is, it, it really sent ripple effects, <laughs> true ripple effects through the entire way this team played the season, finished the season. And ultimately now, you know, it, it ends still in some semblance of, you know, not necessarily disarray or chaos, but some semblance of controversy and with the deal in principle agreed to in one hand and now they're having to pivot and now you lose another key member, you know, of this team and organization. Well, again, that'll do it here for Believe in Celtics brought to you by Bet Online. Again, he's a great Gary Washburn. Make sure you follow him on, on Twitter at G Washburn Globe. Follow me at Shaw Sports NBA. The Marcus Smart era is ended, unfortunately, for many Boston fans, but the Kristaps Porzingis era is, is on the horizon. Hopefully he will be able to stay healthy and we'll have more. You know, on the, on the Celtics team, obviously going into the next season, but we'll take a look at them in the summer league as well too. I'll probably get a couple more questions answered and have more more questions for us to raise as well too. But we'll be back here sometime throughout the summer. Again, believe in Celtics. Watch you provide a line. Catch you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.